You're listening to another ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Welcome to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Stand out, be heard, influence. Want to influence real change with your message while become known as an authority in your field? Industry Thought Leader Podcast will show you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, the podcasting queen. We have another incredible guest. So let me introduce who you are, Joseph, and the three key things that you want to share on today's show. Your mind dictates what you see, which dictates how you do which delivers what results you get. Now, Joseph helps business owners as well as corporate professionals reset their paradigms to afford them a context which enables them to make more sustainable decisions. Now, as a global citizen, Joseph's life's journey has shaped who he is as an executive coach, a business coach, mentor, and advisor. Now, on today's show, we're very fortunate that Joseph is going to to share how we can better understand the paradigm of our thinking from a context from which to decide on your quest. The better term for your goals, your big goals, he's going to talk about stop having goals, learn how to become your very own quest. And he's also going to share five key anchors. And if you so desire, your true north. Much more on today's show. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yes, my, my dream for the world right now is that we shake ourselves up and shift our paradigms mm. from the conventional to a new adventure, a new journey. Yes. But the story actually starts with who we are, mm. and uh, we tend to forget that. I sometimes have an audience, and I will ask the audience with a quite serious face on, I'll say, hands up, please, all those of you here who are human beings. I get some deadpan faces, a bit of silence, and then crack up. Uh, people think uh, it's a joke. Yeah. And then eventually people do realize I've asked a serious question, mm -hmm. and they all start acknowledging, yes, we are human beings. Yeah. And then I prompt them, I say, but do you know what it is to be a human being? Mm -hmm. And of course, all these pauses when you ask these deep questions just reflect the fact that we haven't thought about it. No. And I say, before we go further, let me take you through that journey that I just started by asking you if you are a human being. Mm -hmm. If you are a human being, guess what? You were born into this world through parents. You had a father, you had a mother. Mm -hmm. And you had grandparents, great-grandparents. It goes back as far as the dawn of life. And perhaps you've had siblings. And as you've grown up, you've had your own partners, perhaps your own children, relatives, and all of that sort of thing. So the very fact that we are human beings means we are predestined to live and communicate with other human beings. Mm -hmm. Now, it isn't just human beings because I call this our relational world, we also relate and interact with all living things on the planet. Yeah. 
from animals through to plant life, everything you can think of. So that includes the environment. Mm -hmm. Now, I call that our relational world. So we're human beings first, but we live in a relational world. Now, if you really get that, you begin to understand how powerful and onerous a duty that is. Mm because we cannot truly become fully who we are without our relational world yes not the other way around the relational world doesn't need us we can yeah. cease to exist but the world still exists but the minute we are born into that relational world we need that relational world in order to allow us to blossom into our full potential mm. so if you wake up to that onerous duty, what are we going to do about it? Yes. Where do we proceed? Well, our first task, it's almost an instinct. We've got to do something to sustain that relation, relational world. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? Oh, well, we can get a job. We can have a vocation, a profession, a career. We can beg, borrow, steal. But what we do is we generate a vehicle with which we sustain the relational world, oh, right? Yes, yes. And what I have found is that in coaching and working with executives and leaders around the company, when I talk to them and say, who are you? Mm -hmm. They'll tell me their title and they'll soon jump to the success and the criteria they've had. Yeah. And then I say, that's great, but I actually asked you a question about who you are, and you've just told me about your profession. Yeah. And I have had senior people in tears when they wake up to the fact that they had stopped thinking about who they are as human beings, yeah. if even they had thought about it once before. Mm -hmm. And sadly, when people are lost to their careers and their professions, the relational world tends to suffer too. Mm. Family life tends to suffer, right? So yeah. it seems to me that the modern rat race that we have has actually got it back to front. Mm. If you ask everybody who they are, they'll tell you about what they do, yeah. right? And so my challenge is to shift people's paradigm into really understanding that they're human beings first. And in order to become fulfilled, tap into their potential, grow, become, add value to the world, give of themselves, they need that interaction with relational people and others. And if we don't do it, as we're seeing uh, in everyday news as well, if we don't look after our environment, we have to pay a price. And imagine if we shifted the paradigm to recognizing that what we have to protect is our relational world, then all our material work, success, and everything that taps into our talent and potential is directed towards supporting that relational world. When we do that, we begin to blossom ourselves. Mm. And then we're in a different cycle, but this time a cycle of growth a cycle of positive evolution mm -hmm. instead of a cycle of destruction. Doing it this way, 
we don't end up with corporate burnout. We don't end up being subservient to corporate change, whether our jobs are made redundant because of outsourcing, because of a change of strategy or whatever. Mm -hmm. So can you see how powerful yeah. the shifting of this paradigm is? Yeah, it sure is. And when you pose that question, who are you? And then obviously they've told you who they are from a career point of view and you you reiterate, no, I'm actually interested in you. Is that something that they struggle with, particularly if they've never really considered it before? They struggle desperately with mm -hmm. because even people I have coached for a while and I go back to them, they know I'm going to ask the same question and they're still struggling because we have created such neural pathways in our brains mm. that we cannot but help think along the lines we have been thinking. Yes. And as long as we don't make an effort to change those neural pathways, we're stuck in the old paradigm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, what you're saying is so true because I remember years ago and I, I can't remember how old I was, but I remember taking a step back and thinking, who am I actually? Because so often what we do is we adapt to suit the styles of others. We adapt because we're trying to fit into a corporate whatever their expectations and then you've got the expectations of your family, your husband, your children and so forth and it's like, who am I actually? What is my unique? And it's not till you start to unpack that that you realize, oh, okay. I mean, maybe that's just me, you know, the people who do evolve and adapt to suit circumstances. But I think once you understand that, then it opens up a whole um, realm of things. And I'm sure you're going to dive into that when we're talking about, you know, your quest, how often we live on other people's terms or by their rules and their expectations that we've never really asked ourselves or even dared to you know what is what is it that i want what is my quest so could you define for us please joseph when you talk about quest what do you mean fantastic great question if you talk to the entrepreneurial world to the professional world to the corporate world the one word they understand very very well is goals yes right and whilst that has some value it also has a denial mechanism in there. Mm -hmm. And I learned very, very early on in my life uh, from ancient wisdom tradition. And it started off by something simple like, yes, it's good to have a goal, but when you've got a goal, stop it. Mm. Because you will go around saying, I have a goal. And by saying that, you have separation between you and the goal. Fair right, you it's, do, fun yes. it's fundamental, but it's very important. Yeah. So uh, a great philosopher once said, once you've identified the goal, become it. Mm. Become the goal. Start living the goal. Don't wait for tomorrow. Yeah. Don't wait for the next actions. Your very actions in the now should mm -hmm. be about that goal. Yeah. But I was inspired by by the word quest, another old-fashioned word. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, quest isn't just about a head goal, mm -hmm. right? We, we can rationally tell you what our smart goal is from our head, mm -hmm. partly because 
we are motivated by what the bosses think our goals should be and partly because we are reacting to circumstances and rationally decide what we think we need to do in order to become the goal okay so when i do the smart goal exercise with my people i actually change the letter a in smart from achievable to attractive mm. and what do we mean by attractive that's the emotional that's the emotional intelligence part of it. Yes. So I separate, so specific S, you become very specific, very intellectual about what it is you want to, to achieve. M is how you're going to measure it. But A now is how attractive it is. And I have two columns. Score it for me, score this goal for me from 0 to 10 from your head. Mm -hmm. And usually I'll get a decent score between 7 and 10. Mm -hmm. And then I say, now score it for me from 0 to 10 in your heart. Yeah. And I get a different score. And what I say is it oughtn't to be that we need a balanced score. What we need is some congruence between the head and the heart. Yeah. Because if I set myself a goal because rationally I thought that this is what I must do, but mm -hmm. my heart is not in it, guess what? Yeah. Some way along the line, you're going to trip up. Yes. And on the other hand, if I have been passionately and emotionally uh, moved by something and I want to chase that goal, but I haven't thought it through, mm -hmm. I might miss a trick or two. Yes. So for me, that attractiveness represents the congruence of head and heart. Mm. And when you are embarked on a mission i call that your quest mm. where your quest has got that complete synergy between head and heart now i have to say uh, modern science has defined brains in different ways to the traditional and we now talk about the three brains that a human being has yeah. the head the heart and the gut yeah. right so when I talk, I also say, and how does it feel in your gut? Yeah. Right? Because if there is a lack of congruence, then your platform is not stable mm. and you cannot comfortably embark on that quest. Yes. Right? So that for me is the power of quest in the context of goals. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh I came up with an acronym, which is the ROC model, R-O-Q-U-E. So when we're talking about to someone about the goal they've got, yes. and now we're coaching them in terms of how to go forward, we say, okay, the topic is your goal. Let's say I want to bake a cake. Okay, what's the reality now? What's happening now? That's the letter R. And they think, ah, oh, it's so-and-so's significant birthday and we're going to have a party, so we need to put up a cake. So you, in this section, you collect all the facts, all the data about your goal, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and then we go to the letter O. Okay, so what options do we have? Well, fundamentally, you can bake the cake yourself or you can outsource it and buy the cake. Then you have the options of a layered cake or one big round cake, whether you put candles, whether you put decoration, all these options, mm. okay? So once you've got all these options, 
and by the way, with options, we've got to be careful not to be blinkered. We tend to look at what's in front of us. Mm. And I encourage people to look at what's behind us, yeah. right? And if you can't see what's behind you, ask somebody to help look behind you. And that adds to your portfolio of options. Now, once you've got all these options, you've got to make some choices, right? And the choice for me is the quest. So what is going to be your quest from those options you have chosen, okay? So the quest, let's say in this case is, okay, we are going to bake the cake at home. We're not going to outsource it. And it'll be a large cake and it'll be a, a nice heavy sponge cake and it doesn't have to be a fruit cake. So we're very clear about what we want to do, okay? So the next step is traditionally with people, when you have a goal, right, you're on your marks, you're at the door to try and achieve that goal. And I say, no, once you've got the quest, and you've tested for that alignment between head and heart, the you in the letter in the word rock stands for what do you uniquely need to put in place before you start the goal? So in the context of baking this cake, do we have an oven big enough to bake the cake? Mm -hmm. Have we got the right ingredients, right? So you assemble everything you need, including uh, preparation mentally, physically, time, space, and everything like that before you embark on your quest. And now we come to the letter E. So R, reality now, O for options, Q, we've decided on the quest, U, we've identified all the things we uniquely need for this particular quest. And now E is all about ex execution. Right, so what exactly are we going to do by when? How much, how big, and how are we going to hold ourselves accountable and to whom? Wow. Right? So that's yes. where Quest leads us. That's, I love that. And I recall um, watching you speak on a TEDx talk about. Oh, what yes. Yes. The gentleman, many years ago when you were a child with your dad, you walked past <laughs> on the street. Did you want to briefly share that story? Because that story was just so moving and I think just yes. beautifully shows, uh, you know, a real example of rock and how you actually came up with that concept, yeah. Yes, yes, very quickly. And, of course, people can uh, relive uh, that TED Talk. There are two of yes. them, actually, uh, ah. on, on, on my website. I actually had about six invitations from that TED Talk to repeat the talk. So you, so what you're asking is no different, but I'll, you'll have to give me some time signals, uh, but I'll try and condense it for you. Um, yes. Rock is an acronym that came about from one of my life journeys at a certain point. point. I grew up in Mombasa as a kid, and I often used to walk with my grandpa uh, along the street, and very often we would pass by this beggar in the street and he was a polio victim so he couldn't use his legs and uh, every day grandpa would talk to him uh, unlike other people who would just drop a coin in grandpa would actually engage him in conversations and uh, grandpa eventually by just talking to him and finding out what he wants to do this man who was uh, a teenager then uh, 
was already thinking about life ahead. He didn't, he didn't see himself as a handicapped uh, cripple, beggar. Yeah. He saw himself as one day having a wife, having kids, and running a business. So grandpa said, well, what kind of business uh, are you going to do? And he said, well, I've been cleaning this shop front window uh, where I sleep at night, and I think I do a better job than all the other shopkeepers. So I'd like to start a business cleaning shop windows. Yeah. And uh, so that's how he started. And very soon, the same beggar had a contract to clean all the shops on that street. Yeah. And it wasn't long, like five years later or something like that, uh, he invited Grandpa to his village. Now, we didn't know what it was. I happened to be there. Grandpa said, let's go along. So we went in this uh, highly customized combi-type van, uh, which passed for a bus for the poorer people. And we went for hours and ended up walking through a jungle into a village clearing. And there was this collection of huts where yeah. a group of people was living. And guess what? There was this beggar. We called him Maschini, which is a Swahili word for Maschini, uh, for beggar. And he took us to a house he was building by himself. He was building the mud bricks. And his wife, now he was married, was helping build the walls. And she was also tending three little kids. So he was married. He had children. He was running this business and building his own house. How about that for powerful inspiration? Amazing. Now, the interesting thing is when Maschini said to Grandpa in response to the question, so what are you going to do? And Maschini said he's going to start this business. And Grandpa said, okay, so how are you going to actually clean the business, you know, uh, clean the shop windows? You can only do the ground. Grandpa was exploring options with Maschini, and Maschini was smart. He decided to employ other people who were handicapped. Those that could stand would clean the top parts of the shop windows. Yeah. There were others who were deaf and dumb or handicapped in another way. So he had it all worked out, and he was determined to hire other handicapped people. So when Grandpa said to Maschini, are you sure you want to do this, or are you just saying it? You could see the passion in Maschini. And that is where Quest and its inspiration came. He was talking from the heart, but he had already thought it through. Yes. Right? And so Grandpa said, you know, what do you need in order to start this business? <laughs> Two things stood out to me. Maschini said uh, uh, to Grandpa, can you help me talk to the other shopkeepers? And Grandpa said, no. And I was mortified. I thought for years we've been supporting this man, and now Grandpa is saying no. Uh, and Grandpa said, you can do it. Why don't you start talking? to the shopkeepers, uh, I'll happily give you a reference, mm. right? So that's the one thing. And then Grand, uh, Maschini said, what else do you need? And he said, well, I'll need some rags. I'll need a broom and all of that. Mm. 
and one of the things grandpa said, I have a spare shirt at home. I'll also give you a shirt so that you can be presentable when you go along. So these were the real life examples. But then years later, when I came to live in Perth, I met a man who was actually called Rock, R-O-Q-U-E. And Rock and I struck a very good relationship. And after I moved to Melbourne, Rock would still phone me. Uh, he was old enough to be my father, but he would phone me and said, Joseph, I have this problem. I like the way you help me think things through. Uh, help me see how this works. And it just so happened he phoned me one day and he said, my garage door won't open. Now I'm in Melbourne, he's in Perth, and I'm going, and we didn't have video conferencing, so I'm going to help him sort that. So periodically I would ask him questions and he would run out of the house, check the garage door status, come and tell me. In that gap, I was doodling mm -hmm. and I wrote his name down as though I was doing a mind map, R-O-Q-U-E. And I just had a flashlight, like a thunderbolt hit me. And I saw grandpa's questioning of Maschini in Rock's name. So Rock's name became uh, uh, an anagram, if you like, yeah. uh, of what I wanted it to be. So that's how Rock started. Yeah. And, and now it's it's gone around the world. So yeah. the Rock model online is actually an instrument and it asks you three fundamental questions. What's your dream for yourself as a human being? Mm -hmm. What options do you have? What's your quest going to be? What do you uniquely need? And what are you going to execute? Mm -hmm. Second question, what's your dream for your, for your relational world? And the third question is what's your dream for your professional and vocational world. Mm -hmm. And so the ROC acronym uh, takes you through that and you get a report. And very often people think, oh, my God, I've seen this report and look at what I am. And it's not a judgment thing. It's not a test. Mm -hmm. It's just a status check on where you are. So mm -hmm. that's the ROC model online. Yes. But then the process you got me to explain about where Quest comes in and how how I took you through the rock process. I call that the rock coaching methodology. And that's a free download where everybody can download the template, think of a topic, think of a subject, and work through those processes. I even have some uh, ready-made questions you can ask. Oh, I've got to tell you this. Uh, you, you just, you, your, your smile has just inspired me. Mm. I once had... Uh, an audience of about 180 senior managers from mm -hmm. a very large government department, uh, and they were having their professional development day, and I was one of the guest speakers. And I was asked what I was going to talk on, and by the way, they said, could you please talk about rock? Uh, <laughs> so I said yes, and they asked if there was any homework, and I said, right, every attendee, think of at least one business problem they have and come for the session. Now, this is probably the strangest session I'd ever done, but I've repeated it so many times because I welcomed everybody, checked that everybody had their business problem, mm -hmm. had something to write with, 
and I had a PowerPoint presentation with about 70 questions and I stayed silent. I didn't say anything for nearly an hour. Just one question at a time was coming up on the screen mm. under reality now, under options, under quest, under unique needs, under execution. And at the end, or rather during that silence, all I kept hearing from the audience was, ah, wow. oh, wow, <laughs> smiles, right? So I get back up on the stage, and fortunately my session ended just before lunchtime, yes. and I, was, I could not get off the stage for 40 minutes. There was a lineup of what seemed the entire audience coming to thank me personally, yes. and they kept saying quite consistently, how did you do that? How did you do that? I said, I didn't do anything. You did it for yourself. Yeah, that's All right. I just going through, smiling, clicking through the PowerPoints. And thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Absolutely. The best paycheck. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I love that. I love that. That I love that story too. That's why thank you so much for sharing that. Now, one of the things we promise to share with people is the five key anchors. And I know yes. rock is, of course, uh, five letters as, as well. But briefly, because I know we're just about at the end of the show, those five key anchors, and if you so desire, you say you're true north. Can you share a little yes. bit more about that before you leave? Absolutely. Uh I loved one of your earlier speakers, Dave Kavahau, uh, and there is so much synergy there. If the journey of trying to understand who we are is tough because it is lifelong and it is beyond the context of our professional work and our relational world and all of that, there are some things we can make a start with. So if I'm coaching somebody, I ask them up front to agree to taking uh, a series of questionnaires, the output of which become the five key anchors. Mm -hmm. The first one is we do an exercise in their values. What are your values? Mm -hmm. The second one is we do an exercise and there's an online questionnaire to do your strengths. Mm -hmm. The third one, I do their personality profiles. Mm -hmm. The fourth one, especially if you're a leader with people, we do your emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the fifth one is the rock model. Yeah. Okay. Now we just take the top three to five answers of each of these mm -hmm. and we have it on a sheet of paper. And now all of a sudden when we're coaching or when we're engaging with other members, people look at that reflection of who they are and decide how best to leverage those talents in any given situation. Yeah. And it, it put a smile on my face because I go into some companies where I've done this exercise and they've actually got their five key anchors on the side of their desk. Yeah. So that when a colleague comes and say, hey, Anne, can you help me with this? And they look at the five key anchors, they can now see where it is best placed to leverage and strengths and vice versa. So it's great. Now, that's your five key anchors. And there's a sixth one, and that is passions. Mm. Now, there are some people and certainly some execs when uh, major life things have happened or corporate changes and they're completely lost, they don't know where to do. We do an exercise about passions. Now, 
just as the word love is so misused, passions mean something special and even to me. I say, think of an acorn. Mm. Plant it anywhere you want in the world under any circumstances. What's it going to try to do? Of course, it is going to try to become an oak tree. Yeah. Okay. We need to tap deep down into what those essential passions are before we can understand how to leverage it. So mm -hmm. I add passions to the five key anchors, and now I've got six elements, and I call that your true north. Yes. Okay. So your true north obviously is like a compass. Mm -hmm. It gives you a bearing, right? And believe it or not, in the absence of taking yourself off to a ashram or something like that to really study your navel and understand what the meaning of life is, mm. there are some pragmatic ways in which you can contextualize what you must do for yourself in your vocation or your career or anything like that. Uh, I, there are a couple of wonderful stories, I'm mindful of time, but there was one corporate exec in... Uh, a major oil uh, industry, came back uh, to Australia, having lived abroad for 10, 15 years, because now two little kids were about getting ready to go to school. And suddenly that role did not exist for him back in Australia. Hmm. Completely lost from highly successful to no job and uh, pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And so we went through our exercises and he was struggling. Mm -hmm. uh, but he loved the five key anchors. So then I threw in the passions. And during one of the conversations, he said, so what should I do? I said, no, what do you want to do? Yeah. And he said, frankly, I'll do anything, like even drive a tram. So I challenged him. I said, go drive a tram. Yeah. And he did for three months. And he came back. And he said that was the best thing he ever did because driving the trams, and he promised me he didn't knock anybody over, mm -hmm. he discovered one of his passions. And his passions, now imagine he was living in hot tropical countries in his high-powered executive role, yeah. but his passions was the mountains and snow and skiing. So he came up with the idea of... Uh, getting mentors for people who wanted to learn to ski. Mm -hmm. And he had a network of people who supplied ski equipment, uh, uh, people who provided accommodation. All of this was online, and he had a business. Wow. Right? Just by digging deep. I love doing the exercise on passions because it starts off for, from, for, with some very superficial uh, passions or concepts of passions and then it goes deep and deep and deep until you really come to your burning desire mm. and then when you tap that in and leverage all the other talents and experience you have now we can shape that into an entrepreneurial idea yes. that can help take you forward to become more sustaining and more meaningful and what he's always been grateful for to me was that this time instead of putting his career first he put his family first mm. yes so that's, that's a little thing isn't it that's brilliant yeah, i love yeah. that 
Joseph, we have had such an, uh, an incredible conversation and uh, thank you so much for sharing your stories. And I know you've just scratched the surface. You've got lots of, as you've mentioned, um, resources on your website too. So what's the best way? Share your website link and, of course, if there are any other ways that people can connect with you. Great. My website is the homing pigeons destination, www.questunique.com.au. I really appreciate that opportunity, Anne-Marie. I can't believe the time has flown. I loved it. I know. I know. It has just gone so quickly, as they often do. When you have um, wonderful conversations, um, the time just flies by. But people can continue the conversation with you by going to your website for sure and uh, finding out more from there. So thank you once again for, for sharing this time and I'm wishing you all the best, Joseph. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie. Really, really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to catching up. You've been listening to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Want to learn how to leverage your expertise, monetize your message, while become known as an authority in your field? Access our free industry thought leader podcast series to show you how at www.annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series. That's annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series.